Hi. Welcome to Alternative Jigsaw. I'm Tony, and I'm here to help work with you on your adventure in alternative education. Here's where we're going to learn more about ourselves, more about our students, and learn how to innovate. This is a platform for you to be asking questions, for us to answer them, and for us to go through and slog as much as we can together and find out just how wonderful our world really can be. This is a podcast about successes. It's a podcast about trials, tribulations, and finding joy at the end of the road. Won't you join me? Here we go. Hello again. What have we got for this week? Well, today we're going to end this very short series where we have been doing an overview on curriculum. And today is the day we do a quick complete. This doesn't mean this is the end all. No, what it means is that for now, this is where we chat about two or more topics under curriculum to get your brain spinning and thinking. All the topics we've covered these three weeks will be revisited later as we delve deeper into what curriculum is and why you chose it, as well as the delivery and figuring out equitable outcomes. But today's topics are making the curriculum vibrant and working to make the curriculum accessible and workable for each and every student. The first comment I expect to hear is, how do I make the curriculum vibrant? Well, that's a good one. This means that no curriculum, lesson, or topic should be held in a vacuum. Rather, they should always be evolving. As we learn more, so it becomes richer. As the students find more, so it makes it even better. This cannot happen if students are simply doing rote work and filling in blanks to comply and pretend, purposely chosen word, to understand what they're learning and doing. But how can you do this? Well, let's put some ideas down and work from there. One. How about you write a complex problem or question on the board, overhead, computer, whatever you use to show the class something, and then begin asking for solutions. Maybe you even break it down. Put the students into groups, if you may. The goal is that by the end of the lesson, they will be able to solve the problem or answer the question. This will be using their critical thinking skills, reasoning, interpersonal skills, if you're using the group and also allows you to assess the lesson for whether or not it served its purpose. Number two, find some content that might be a good precursor to the lesson that you're going to begin teaching. Maybe it's a news article. Maybe you want to talk about something. Um, let's say that you're doing something on communication, on interpersonal communications, and you choose the story from a, the, a, a George and Martha story. Okay. Um, some of you may have known this from your childhood, watching it on TV. And before that, it's a James Marshall book called George and Martha. It's a series. And there's a wonderful one uh, where it's about split pea soup and how Martha loves to make split pea soup and George really doesn't like it. And so what happens and how that whole thing comes out. 
it's very simplistic. It's all very um, convenient, but it opens the door too. When are you being polite to be polite? And when does that get in the way of your friendship and or in, in, in the way of just communication and being honest with your communication? And what are some ways that you can resolve that? So you can do that. Um, another one is one that I love doing, and this is for science, and it's about the scientific method. And it takes far more than just one period, but it really creates an understanding and realization of what the scientific method is. And after you've talked about the scientific method, let's say that you give a quiz, you talk about it orally, you do kind of like a Jeopardy thing, whatever, and you make sure that everybody really understands and everybody's on the same page. So I assigned the following problem, and I took this from another teacher, and I don't know where she got it, but the results were typically the same. And the following problem is what I give them, and it is, which of the following methods of eliminating bad breath is most effective? If it's breath strips, toothbrushing with toothpaste, toothbrushing with toothpaste and floss, breath mints, mouthwash with toothbrushing and toothpaste, mouthwash alone, mouthwash with toothbrushing, toothpaste and floss, chewing gum, and then ask the students if they have any other ways of solving bad breath and go for it and write that down. So because there's also breath spray, lozenges, etc. What are the causes of bad breath? You can do a big thing on the board for that. So have them, and they're going to be in groups, have them set it up and then put out the things that they're going to need and have them set it up so that they can do a viable experiment to find which of the which of those is actually going to do the best for bad breath. Chances are they're going to go with something that's quick and convenient. You should also double up on how much you buy and have provided. You don't give them everything. You give them the bare amount because you're going to have to do this again. Just listen. They'll do it quickly and they won't be able to actually have a relevant and good experiment the first time because replicating it um, won't be that simple and you will find all sorts of problems with the variables and even their setup. It's a lot of fun and it doesn't matter what age group you're doing it with. Um, I've done it with high schoolers, middle schoolers, and it's typically the same. The high schoolers might be a little bit more on track, but still... Uh, and every student needs to keep a journal, and you tell them that you're going to be picking a journal at random from each group, and that's what's going to help them. Through trial and error, after you've gone through the journals and you realize that they missed the mark and there are all kinds of problems, you can bring that up and you can talk to them. And then you can get, then they listen and they come up with something that is far better. And so this way, we also teach why failure is a wonderful thing. And it's a failure forward because they tried it. They didn't get it. But what did they learn? They learned what doesn't work. 
and they learned that they did some parts correctly. But what is it that we need to figure out? And we can, and it can be a wonderful discussion. And then they need to reset the whole thing up and overcome some of the obstacles that they failed to realize when they were encountering the problem the first time. Another thing that you can do is you can ask students if you have a topic, let's say that you're going to do something on ecosystems or the Civil War, how are some of the students wanting to explore that subject? And then they can guide each other to find their interests and you're helping. And if you have a grumbler who doesn't care to do this, then have some ideas for them to choose from and allow them to figure out how they can explore. You don't want to leave anybody behind and you want everybody to succeed. Sometimes it takes a thing or two, and sometimes we have to think outside the box, and it's a non-ego kind of uh, play because maybe somebody else will come up with something and you'll say, but I just said that two minutes ago. doesn't matter. Um, you got them on board, and that you might even have groups set up that maybe they figure out how they're going to do it too. And you might even consider looking at Universal Design for Learning, UDL, um, sometimes this is a great place to begin. Just allow the students to figure out the best manner in which they parlay their learning and figure out how to discover what their abilities are and allow them to find them. If someone spends a great deal of exploring on the internet, maybe they come up with websites and they do almost like an annotated bibliography and they explain to everybody what it is that they found and where people can come up with things. I mean, let's... Let's use people's talents and give them a feeling of good self-worth. While you're thinking about that, but then you're trying to figure out how you're going to do it yourself, it may start to feel a little overwhelming. Just keep it really simple for yourself. Allow mistakes. The students need to see us fail. And we need to move on. And it's just as we expect them to. So while your materials may seem somewhat bleak and you aren't really sure how to deal with them because some of them might be lame, do they have good ideas? And how would you want to teach those? Now you're getting creative. Now you're giving your own input. Find different ways of using those materials. And maybe they're just a springboard. Maybe there's something in there that the students might want to look at because if we stick to a specific curriculum, you're going to lose some students. Okay. Just figure out ways and ideas that you can use those topics, those ideas as springboards and then use your students for ideas. Don't create a zoo, but rather a gallery of talents and interests that can be used. There has to be structure. And you have to adhere to that structure because if you don't, you may end up finding yourself being a lion tamer with a lot of lions. And it's hard to be a lion tamer when you're outnumbered, but it'll come around. Everything will work its way out. What I'm trying to tell you today is that you are the pivot point from which the learning will come. If you teach math, then figure out how the students will use the concepts in their lives or already do. Make it relevant. 
Same thing with literature, language, science, art, history, social science, PE, and health. If you can interweave anything and create integrated curriculums and even bring in a teacher or two to help, then bravo, the more the merrier. Maybe you have team teaching going on. What a wonderful way to have more minds working together. And it, it alleviates a lot of exhaustion too. One last caveat. Allow for students to continue to improve and do not have a drop-dead date. If they need an incomplete, allow it and follow through. If a student has done the work but isn't able to demonstrate proficiency or the competencies yet, then their striving to improve is in everyone's interest, isn't it? If they just need to tweak, if they just need to talk, if they just need to figure something out, let's say they have five competencies done and they need three more, how are they going to get those three? Let's work on those three. And maybe it just needs a little bit more from you. If they're getting frustrated, how do we change that? How do we change that frustration into action? How do we make them see that, you know, maybe doing some deep breaths, square breathing, just kind of letting it go and then coming back to it is okay. Maybe giving them an incomplete and still letting them do that and come back to you to finish it. That could be also, it's all about the students learning. It's all about the students achieving and moving forward, right? So in summary, let's keep your lessons relevant, interesting, inspiring, and flexible. Let's give the students something in the beginning that allows them to predict as Madeline Hunter would say. Use whatever resources you can and think outside the box. Punch a hole in that box just so you get some daylight in there and some fresh air and just keep breathing it and opening it more and more. Because your goal is to learn. Allow students to achieve, learn, understand, and retain as much as possible through whatever systems you or they can deliver. Make it a team process with the students. Now that is a lot. I'm going to stop us here. I hope you found this encouraging. I hope you find it thought provoking. And next week we're going to begin in on methodology and working with students learning styles and working toward personalizing the classroom for each student. This too sounds like a giant task, but it can make all the difference in the world to them. And it makes you all the better. After all, it's another learning curve. <laughs> we'll see you then. Bye-bye.